Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Angel of the Lord as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 9. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. There are indications that when Satan rebelled, that a third of the angels in heaven rebelled with him. In Revelation chapter 13, or chapter 12, he saw the dragon, and with his tail he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. The stars of heaven is an appellation for angels many times. So there is the concept that Satan drew a third part of the angels in his rebellion against God. They are spirit beings. They remain to us today much of a mystery, but many otherwise unaccountable phenomena can be explained by the presence or power of angels, things that we cannot understand, interesting type of phenomena. I think that much of the psychic phenomena is in the realm of spiritism and and is in the realm of, of angels, not necessarily the angels of God, but those that have fallen with Satan from God. Now, when the angels fell, because they rebelled against the authority of God and followed Satan, God prepared a place where they are ultimately to be incarcerated. There is also a place of temporary incarceration known as the abuso in Greek, translated many times the pit or the bottomless pit. But their place of final incarceration is Gehenna, which Jesus described as being outer darkness, probably out in space beyond the light of the furthest galaxy. And Jesus declares that in the day when he comes back to the earth to judge the earth, he will say to certain of those who are upon the earth, those who have received the mark of the beast, those who have worshipped the false messiah, he will say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, into Gehenna that was prepared for Satan and his angels. And so Gehenna, though it was prepared by God for Satan and his angels, those who have chose to follow Satan will also be consigned to that same place of judgment. And so the angel of the Lord, the Bible says, encamps about the righteous. His ear is open to their cry. And yet we are not to pray to angels. Let no man deceive you concerning a false sense of humility by praying to angels. We are not to worship angels. When John tried to bow down to the angel that was giving him the revelation, he said, stand up. I'm a man just like you are. I'm I'm in the same class as you are. I'm just a servant of God. Don't worship me, worship God. Most of the time at the appearance of the angels, two men, The effect upon men was that of of fear. And so they were always saying, fear not. Two of the extraordinary angels seem to be Gabriel and Michael. Michael is called that strong prince. Gabriel, it seems, was 
in charge of the arrangements for the birth of Christ. Gabriel appeared to John the Baptist father, Zacharias. He also appeared to Mary to announce to Mary the fact that she was to be the mother of the Christ child. He appeared 600 years earlier to Daniel, given to Daniel the prophecy by which the day that the Messiah would come was prophesied. So they are interesting beings. They surround the throne of God. There is one class of angels known as the cherubim who surround the throne of God, cease not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It'll be very interesting and fascinating for us to discover the facets of these angels when we get to heaven. Our knowledge of them at the present time is very limited. But yet, the Bible speaks of them and even tells us to be careful to entertain strangers. You never know but what you might be entertaining an angel without knowing it. So the Assyrians were destroyed by one angel, 185,000 of them. So they are very powerful beings in ratio to man. Who can withstand a spirit being, an angel of the Lord? Brings up an interesting thought. When Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane and Peter pulled out his sword and began to swing away, cutting off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on and said to Peter, put your sword away, Peter. He said, don't you realize that if I wanted to at this moment, I could call for 10,000 angels to deliver me out of their hand? I don't need your help, Peter. So oftentimes we think God needs our help, don't we? <laughs> now let's help out the Lord. The Lord says, hey, Peter, I don't need your help. I could call for 10,000 angels to deliver me. Now, if one angel smote 185,000 Assyrians in one night, can you imagine what a legion 10,000 angels could do? Now, that's why when God speaks of this coming situation with Russia, and you think, oh, how could Israel ever withstand Russia and all? And you don't have to worry about Israel because God is going to set his forces and his power to work against the invaders. And, it, and it's just, uh, it will be a time of great awakening as people awake to the realization of God. Now as we get into chapter 32, Isaiah jumps over a couple of millennia at least. As he looks forward, as God is going to come down and as a crouching lion roaring and so forth, over her prey. In verse 4, going back to chapter 31, as the Lord of hosts shall come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof, he is likened unto a lion, a young lion that is roaring on his prey. When you turn to the book of Revelation and you read there of the return of Jesus Christ, it declares in Revelation 10, 3, And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he has cried, the seven thunders uttered their voices. So Christ in his returning is going to let forth a great cry like a lion that is roaring. 
Now here, of course, it declares it in Isaiah 31.4, also in Jeremiah 25.30, also in Joel, and in many places of the Old Testament, it's referring to uh, the day that the Lord does come roaring as a lion. And so he has come. Behold, the king shall reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in judgment. A man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim. The ears of them that hear shall hearken. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerer shall be ready to speak plainly. There's going to be a restoration when the king comes and reigns. No more will people be stuttering, stammers. They'll speak plainly. And at this time, the vile person shall no more be called liberal. I think that that's a very interesting verse because we hear of liberals today. And for the most part, especially a theological liberal, is an extremely vile person. But yet they, they sort of hide behind the term of, well, I'm a liberal. And they, they use that as a covering for their vileness. And in that day, the vile person will no more be called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful, a rude kind of a bullish person. For the vile person will speak villainy and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord. Now, what an apt description this is of the liberals. Their hearts are seeking to work iniquity and to practice hypocrisy. And what tremendous hypocrisy there is. As in theology, the liberals are always redefining terms so that you don't know what they're talking about. And you have to ask them, but what do you mean by born again? Because they've even picked up the term born again. They use the terms charisma, and they use all kinds of terms, and you listen to them talk, and you say, my, he's right on. He was talking about Christ. Yes, but what does he mean when he says Christ? Does he mean an anointing that, you know, the Christ in me and the Christ in you? What does he mean when he says born again? And they've redefined these terms so that they can use the terms and you listen to them talk and you think, my, you know, he's talking about being born again. Isn't that wonderful? But if you get a definition of their terminology, you'll find what they mean by being born again is entirely different from what we understand what it is to be born again by the Spirit of God into a new spiritual life. So the hypocrisy by changing the definition of words so that they can give forth their 
villainy, really, but you don't understand what they're saying because you don't have the glossary that they are using. But they seek to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. The thing about the liberal church and the liberal theologians is that they do not satisfy a person's real hunger for God. And people can go to church all their lives in these liberal churches and never really be satisfied. Their hunger for God's word and God's truth never satisfied. Their thirst for God never filled. Because the liberal theologians have absolutely nothing to offer of a true experience and relationship with God. Now, they're extremely clever in their argumentation, in the presenting of their points. But their purpose is to become involved more politically. And the presentation of the social gospel and the emphasis upon the social gospel. And to listen to them, it sounds so good. It sounds so right. And here Isaiah is speaking of the day when the king comes. And these liberals will be called what they really are. The instruments also of the churl are evil. He devises wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaketh right. Now, he, beginning with verse 9, he turns now the attention and the thought to the women at this particular time in Jerusalem. And let me say that women are usually the true barometer of the moral state of a nation. Women are the ones who usually set the moral standards. And when the women become corrupted in their moral standards, there's nothing left. And so the prophet speaks out again, as he did in an earlier chapter, against the women in Jerusalem. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice. Ye careless daughters, give ear to my speech. Many days and years shall be troubled. You careless women, for the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip yourselves, make bare, and put on sackcloth. On your loins. In other words, the time has come really not to just be looking for pleasure and ease, but to really be seeking God and turning to God. Sackcloth was a garment of mourning and began to mourn over the condition of the nation and the condition of the country. I think that the message of Isaiah to the women of that day is extremely important to the women of our day. For defiled womanhood means a defiled nation. Now they shall lament. And he speaks of the lamentation, and it brings to mind what Jesus said will take place during the great tribulation period. 
when the time has come for those to flee from Jerusalem to the wilderness place. Woe unto them, he said, who in those days are nursing a child or who are pregnant. Woe unto them because it'll be hard to flee from Jerusalem in a hurry to get away from the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will be coming to defile the temple and to blaspheme God. So the women lamenting, the land of my people shall come upon thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken. The multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and the towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of the wild asses and a pasture for the flocks. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness be a fruitful field and the fruitful field be counted for a forest until God begins his work of restoration. Now it is interesting how that the land of Israel did remain for centuries wasted, desolate, wild. And how that under this modern Zionist movement and the establishing of the nation Israel, the wilderness is being turned into a fruitful garden. The valleys of Sharon, which were marshlands, the valley of Megiddo, which was marshland, has been drained and now cultivated and tremendous agricultural development there. And so he speaks of the desolation of the land, which did take place until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. In the last days, the Lord said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Joel prophesies that. And God is getting ready for this final outpouring. The wilderness will be a fruitful field. The fruitful field will be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness, I love this verse, the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. What a beautiful verse. The work of righteousness is peace. The effect of right living is just quietness and assurance forever. I've done the right thing. I just rest in it, the quietness and the assurance. Well, I've done the right thing. How beautiful it is. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And when it shall hail, coming down on the forest and the city shall be low in a low place. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters and send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Now chapter 3 begins with a warning to the Assyrians. Woe unto thee that spoilest, and you have not been spoiled. You that deal treacherously, you've not been dealt treacherously with. The Assyrians were extremely treacherous people. They often would mutilate their prisoners of war. 
physically mutilate them. They would pull out their tongues. They would gouge out their eyes. They would uh, physically mutilate their prisoners of war. They were extremely cruel. History records that many times cities, when surrounded by the Assyrian army, the inhabitants would commit suicide rather than be taken captive. So fearful were they of the Assyrians because of their barbarity that rather than being taken captives by the Assyrians and being uh, exposed to the torture that the Assyrians ex gave to their captives, they would just commit suicide. So Masada is not an isolated case in history. Uh, at the time of the Assyrian might, there were many records of cities, entire cities, that rather than being captives of the Assyrians, committed suicide. So woe unto you who deal so treacherously. continue with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 31 through 33 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and keep you in His love and grace, watching over you, guiding you, protecting you through this week. May you be enriched in Christ Jesus in all things. And may your understanding of God's love be increased day by day as you begin to fathom the depths Experience the heights of God's love and grace and mercies towards you through Jesus, our Lord. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time, and I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. 
Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call the Word for Today at 800 272 